Hey, thank you for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. My name is Jamar and I'm the lead pastor. I get the privilege of shepherding here and I'm so glad that you are joining us for this sermon. You're about to receive some text-driven preaching and our prayer is that God will speak to you as you listen to this message. So uh, grab something that you can write with in your Bible and uh, enjoy. I want to invite you to uh, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9 is where we will find ourselves today as we continue our series entitled uh, In the Beginning. And uh, we have been working our way steadily through the book of Genesis and we uh, now will find ourselves in chapter 9. Hopefully we'll get to conclude that. Um, Along this journey, we've had the opportunity to see some pretty incredible things. We had the opportunity to see the Lord create uh, the world. Uh, we had the opportunity to see uh, the Lord create the world uh, before sin, before suffering, sadness. And um, it was a beautiful world. It was good is what the Bible says, that God created a good world. And uh, we also had the opportunity to see him make uh, man, uh, male and female. Uh, he created them. Uh, in the image of God. And um, what a special relationship that they had with the Lord as they would uh, connect there in the garden. And um, the Bible not only records for us the good things, but also we have the opportunity in the Bible to see the bad things and even the ugly things. And uh, so as we've worked through this particular book, we had the opportunity to see in chapter three where sin entered into uh, the picture and um, entered into the human race through Adam and Eve. And their disobedience to the Lord. And uh, in that disobedience, it shaped everything. Every moment that we've ever lived, we've lived in the weight, the light of sin. But we saw that the Lord had a plan. He had a plan uh, for what he would uh, do. And uh, he still connected with Adam and Eve in a relationship, but he had to cover them. And in covering them now, uh, they would still be able to have a relationship, but they would ultimately be kicked out of Eden. And uh, we saw how sin continued to grow exponentially throughout mankind, uh, all the way up to the point where it said it grieved God that he had made man. And uh, so there was a reset that happened. Uh, we know that as the flood, a global flood in which uh, everyone except for those who were on the ark, um, human beings as well as animals uh, were destroyed in the flood. And uh, as we saw that narrative of God taking Noah the faithful one who had walked with him, who was righteous and blameless, uh, God is going to be restarting. And uh, if you were with us last uh, week, you, you know that we looked at that. We looked at the universal instruction that the Lord gave. And in that universal instruction, uh, Noah is a model for us for worship, for dominion, uh, for diet. It, he changed their diet, uh, discipline as well as he gave a sign, a demonstration of his promise of the covenant. And uh, that was the rainbow. And we talked about the rainbow. If you were here uh, last uh, Sunday, we, we talked about the rainbow. And I think it's time for us to reclaim the rainbow. That's the way I'm looking at it. And uh, such great teaching, such great understanding of God's grace and mercy and power and care. Uh, it's time for us to reclaim it. And so uh, today we will continue the journey. Uh, the title of today's message is uh, people group identities. And so people group identities. 
Uh, we do not have any swabs in the seats to figure out, you, you know, where you come from or anything like that. We, we, we're going to be grounded in the text here first. Um, and I think this will be very helpful for us because in our day, a lot of people like to know about their heritage, where they come from. And I do think that's important. But I think what's most important is not just your heritage, but your legacy, what you leave behind once you've been here. And so today we're going to have an opportunity, I believe, to be able to see that, see what it looks like, uh, how we should all care about the legacy that we will leave, but also a little bit about our heritage, about how we have uh, come to be. Why do we have all these uh, differences, differences in shade of skin color and hair type and, you know, where did all these uh, people settle in at? And so over the next two Sundays, we're going to be focusing in uh, on that. You see, this is a very critical uh, portion of scripture we have today. And uh, it answers a lot of questions for us. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of a, a time I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. And I shared this a long time ago. I thought I'd share it again. And uh, he was telling me about his son. His son was running track. And uh, he was telling me about, you know, his son training and trying to make sure he was ready to go. And um, so the track meet comes and I call him. I'm like, man, how did he how did he do? And I was like, oh, they, you know, they, ca they came in second. I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. And he said, there's only two teams. <laughs> so so then, you know, as I think about that, right, they came in last in essence, right? But they still got the second place ribbon. And that's amazing to me that whenever you get just a little bit of additional information, how it changes things, the way in which you view things. And I think today we have a great opportunity to get uh, some additional information when it comes to biblical history, when it comes to the way in which we look at uh, human beings and people. Uh, how we understand cultures and uh, how they formed. And, uh, and I think today is going to be a very important day for us as a church. I think it's going to be very important for us as we live in a country that is, is in some ways being pushed to be divided, all these you know, narratives in the media. But when I, I, I wish y'all could see what I'm seeing right now as I look around this room. It is a beautiful thing that I'm looking at right now. And uh, we are here because we love Jesus and we want to grow. And so... I think today will be great. Uh, help be a great help for us. Uh, let me just go ahead and give you a disclaimer on the front end. I will be an equal opportunity offender today. Uh, I, I come to stand on the word and the word alone. So I just going to go ahead and let you know that uh, we're going to go ahead and have a great time. But we, we will be an equal opportunity offender uh, today. We're going to let the word of God speak and let it work in our hearts and our minds and uh, get us ready for what I believe the Lord has uh, for us now. The text for us, I believe, lays out in two major sections. Uh, we're going to see um, a family problem and then we're going to see a family prophecy. And, uh, you know, as we think about this, this family problem that we see happening on a uh, micro level, I believe, plays out at large on the macro level. And uh, so I think we'll have an opportunity to see that. And also we're going to see a family prophecy uh, that's going to be given that has caused a lot of problems, I believe, throughout the ages. But today, hopefully we can get things straightened out. Now, one of the other things that we have to see before we jump into text is uh, we've, we've seen Noah and we have had an opportunity to see this man uh, who God used greatly. But uh, one of the things we have to realize is, is that the Lord will allow his people uh, to make mistakes and uh, he does not try to hide those mistakes from us. And I believe that when we look at this, Noah will serve as a great example of not only how we should live, 
but also of how we should not and what, what we have to be careful of. And we have to be willing uh, to follow that. So I hope you've had an opportunity now to find Genesis chapter nine. And y'all be praying for me because I'm using this handheld mic and I'm struggling already. I already want to hit my hands two or three times, but uh, I might put it down and just do that here in a minute. But um, we're going to look at our first section, uh, verses 18 through 23. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Now, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Cain. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunken and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Cain, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, in this first section, we're going to see a family problem. Now, if you've been with us, you, you know that uh, Noah... Uh, and his wife and his uh, three sons and their uh, individual wives got on the ark. And so now the earth is going to be repopulated uh, through these individuals. And, and when we look at this, th this should encourage us on a number of levels. It should encourage us because it lets us know that uh, even way back to Adam, that all humanity finds their source, their origin uh, right here. In this first family, this family, Noah's family. So it makes us in some ways all family. It should encourage us that all humanity, no matter your background, no matter your, your, your culture, uh, all has legitimacy. All God's idea. You know, and so in our day, there's a lot of talk about equality and and all the such. And I love to ask people, wh where do you get the basis for your belief that all men are created equal? Because I know where I get mine. It's right here in black and white. Where do you get the basis that what, that we should all have a, a understanding of the intrinsic value in humanity? I know where I get mine. It's right here in black and white, right here in the text. And so as we think about this, we are going to see now as we move forward, the ultimate leading up to the table of nations, how different nations broke out and how they formed and how languages broke out. We will see that in chapter 10 and 11, but we've seen the stage being set for us. But early on, if you're taking notes, I just want you to give I just want to give you uh, Acts chapter 17 verses 26. Uh, through 28, because we not only see the Old Testament expression of this in this section in verses 18 and 19, that the whole earth was populated from these. But we also have this same understanding in the New Testament in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 to 28. It'll come on the screen and we'll look at this together. It says this. And he made from how many? One man. How many of the nations? Every nation. I need you all to help me today of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. 
Now catch it now, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Why would you do that, Lord? That they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So we have it in the New Testament. We have it here in the Old Testament, the framework of the first family. Now, in this first family, it's important to know these three boys. So let me just introduce them to you. You've heard me mention them briefly here and there as we've been working through this text. But the Bible says to us that we have Shem, Ham and Japheth. Now, when you read that order, that is not the birth order. Uh, Japheth was the oldest. Shem was second and Ham was third, was the youngest. And so their names uh, are very important. We'll get to, 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 to those now. It says uh, when you look at Shem, Shem's name means name. Uh, that's important. Shem names mean name. Well, what's your name? Name. How about that? Can y'all imagine that? You know, you're on the playground and get to meet, meet, meet Shem for the first time. And, uh, and then uh, Ham. Ham's name means hot or warm. Some would even say it means black or dark. And then you have Japheth, which means to enlarge. And we're going to see a play on words as we go through the next section uh, to, to mean to, to means to enlarge. Now, I want to show you uh, because I made the case last week that the human race is actually just one color, that we are many, many shades of one color. And so, uh, I, you know, I threw up. I found that old picture of Adam and Eve. I remember that picture I found I way, way back, folks. Eve had a good hair. And so. Um, but I got another picture I want to show you of the many shades of individuals just to just to, to to hit that one more time. And then I want us to look at the areas. Now, y'all see that right there. Look at that. Beautiful. Many, many, many people. Right. One color, many shades. This, this is incredible here. And so we see that we talked about that last week. So I don't want to belabor the point, but I thought I need to hit it one more time. All right. Before we move forward that. Uh, you know, when people say, oh, that's the color bathroom. Oh, OK, so everybody can go in there. OK, so so as we look at this understanding the dynamics here. Now, I also want to highlight just from a geographical standpoint, we will zero in on it more next week. At, and when we get to chapter 10, but I want you to see just from a geographical standpoint, the movements of the, of these three individuals. So let's look at the I, this comes from the Holman. Th th this little slide I came from uh, answers in Genesis. This one comes from the uh, Holman Bible Atlas. And so when you look at this uh, in the uh, the yellow area, uh, that's going to be the shim line where they where they primarily hung out. When you look at that orange, that's going to be the Japheth area. And then when you look at the green, that's going to be the ham area. So just kind of let this we're going to see it again, but just kind of let this settle in your minds as to the geographical regions. All right. Because when we talk about this, th these areas and these people and these names of their children, it's very important to understand where they all spread. So when you look at this, you're going to see the Shem area most going to be in what we know as the Middle East, Arabia and all the such. When you look at the Ham side, you have some of them. Yep. In, in the Middle East, in, in what we know as Israel. But you also have Egypt and you have Sudan and then you have on out into Africa and northern Africa. And then when you look at Japheth, which means to enlarge, they carry they have the largest area. 
All right. They cover the largest area known as the modern day Gentiles. Jews come from the, the Shem side. And we're going to look at from the Ham side, Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, all of them come from that line. All right. Now we're going to zero in here in a minute. I'm just setting the tone. So I just want everybody to kind of keep that in your mind as you look at the areas of where these individuals would have been spread out. So the text tells us that from from these, the Lord was, was going to populate the rest of the world. So what we know, he's going to populate the world. So what we know is that we all come from the same root. There's no superiority because we all understand that we're going to see that in the people group uh, table. Now, specifically, though, I want us to deal with uh, Ham here, because if you notice in verse 18, after we after we are given the three names, then on the back end of 18, we see Ham. Ham is separated out and he says that he's the father of Canaan. So when we see this Ham, he has uh, four, four sons. And if you want to know the exact quotation or where that comes from, you can look in chapter 10, verse six. Those sons were uh, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Cain. So when we look at those, just settle those in your mind. Because when you think about these individuals, these sons of Ham, before we get down to Noah's proclamation, you should know where these areas are that they populated. So let me just give those to you. So Ham's sons, those four sons, Cush is uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Sudan area. Mizraim, that's Egypt. Egypt, Put is Libya, that's northern Africa. And then, you know, Canaan, where the Canaanites are, that's, that's where they are. All right, so we, we see that framework. Now, after having established and set up these names, we now get brought into a deeper realization of the family dynamic or the family problem. So for that, I want us to look specifically at verse 20. It says this now. It says, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. Now, the, the construction there is really interesting because it, it, it literally means a man of the soil. And so it says Noah was a, a man of the soil. Now, if you remember, Adam was a man of the soil. And uh, and so when we look at this, Noah, we see in this redoing, this reworking of things that that Noah was a, a man of the soil. And so he planted a vineyard. Now, the problem is, is that uh, the vineyard uh, it produced and uh, Noah also uh, it says he got some wine and he drank the wine and became drunk from the wine. Now, there are many individuals when you study this construction here that say that because of the atmosphere, the atmosphere had changed, the world had changed, that Noah, when he when he did this, he was not aware that he was going to be dealing with fermentation and that he was going to be getting drunk. And so they like to give Noah a pass. I don't give Noah a pass. I believe Noah knew exactly what he was doing as he planted the vineyard, as the grapes began to grow, as he took the grapes out, as he smashed the grapes, as he put them up, as he let them ferment, and that drink got good to him. Now, when we look at the dynamics here, we see that we don't have a particular time stamp in which how long did this process take from when they got off of the ark, right? We don't know. But what we do know is it, it was enough time for him to plant a vineyard for it to grow and produce for him to be able to smash up the grapes and then for it to ferment to get 
to be able to get drunk. All right. So we, we don't know the exact time, but we know that this wasn't like the first day off. There, there's a there's a there's a time stamp here for us. Now, when we think about this, though, what we should be remembering is when Adam got in trouble. You remember Adam and Eve got in trouble messing around with some fruit, right? So they got they they got in trouble messing around with some fruit. Now now Noah getting ready to mess around with some, with some fruit out of vine. You see, so there's a connection here that I don't want us to miss, and we see this problem that man's heart has not changed, even though Noah was righteous, even though Noah was one who walked with God. We see that humanity is still struggling. Now. I'm not here to talk a whole lot about drinking or whether or not you should not drink get drunk. But what I want you to see is that you're not going to see in scripture anywhere where drunkenness is approved. It's not going to be in any place. As a matter of fact, if, you, if you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse one. Proverbs 20, verse one. And uh, we're going to just look at a series of, of verses, one for, in the Old Testament and one uh, in the New Testament to just help us with this concept. Proverbs uh, chapter 20. Verse one says this wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler and whoever is intoxicated by it is not said with me wise. So we understand that that this is a very destructive thing if we're not careful. Now, listen to me. There are places Jesus, I believe, whenever he was at the wedding. He turned the water into wine, not some light wine. He turned it. I believe that. I think that's part of the miracle. And it wasn't that cheap wine. OK, it, it, it was a good stuff. That's what they said. Whatever. Ooh, what is this? You remember? That's what he said. But most people, you know, they, they get a good stuff up front. And then they give you the, that, back, that cheap stuff on the back end after you got a little in you. But you you did a great thing here. You gave us the best at the back end. All right. So just understand that. But I, but we have to recognize that Noah makes this decision and his drunkenness. It's interesting here that drunkenness is going to lead to shame or him uncovering himself. Many times you see that paired together in Scripture. A New Testament reference to this, I believe, a command to us is Ephesians 518. This is what it says. And do not what? Get drunk. Everybody see that? And do not get drunk with wine. This is dissipation. Watch this. But be filled with the spirit. So what what we, we need to see here is it has to do with control. What is controlling you when what ha normally happens is, is you take a drink and then the drink takes you It's normally the way that works. And so this has to do with control. So Noah lost control here. And so when we look at the the dynamics of this passage, and what happens, ultimately, it's going to lead to disgrace. I'm going to give you three D's. If you take those, I'm just going to give them to you now. Disgrace, dishonor, and demonstrate. Disgrace, dishonor, and demonstrate. We'll hit all three. But the first piece here is that it leads to disgrace. And the text tells us that his drunkenness, he uncovered himself. But notice this. Where did he do it? Inside his tent. Everybody catch that? So this wasn't a public display of intoxication. This was in his tent. So let me just tell you, it's possible to zen and when and you in your tent, you in your house, you're doing your own thing. A lot of people think, well, it's just in my home. And you, 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 you can still sin in your house, in your tent. You can still mess up. Now, we see the disgrace because now he, he uncovers himself. But then a problem happens. His son. The text tells us in verse 22, his son came in and it says 
he's two things. Y'all ready for this? Two things, two issues here with this text. It says he saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Everybody see that? So now we got to figure out what's going on here. Now, there are a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about this particular text. There are some people that say the idea that says that he saw his uh, father's nakedness means that he has some inappropriate sexual interaction. There are some that believe that because when you read the, when you read in other places in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when it's talking about uh, sexual behavior, it will say to uncover, uncover their nakedness or to uncover them. There are some that look at this and say this was not some inappropriate act between father and son or son and father. But actually, this was an inappropriate sexual encounter between Ham and Noah's wife. I know everybody says, right. They would make they would make unless there was another woman in the picture, which it could be. We don't know. This would be either mama or stepmama. Right. So there are some individuals that will, will view it that way. There are some individuals that say, you notice how we don't see that Noah had any other kids and repopulated the earth. So some will say that this was a moment where Ham goes in and he castrates his daddy and he makes it to where he can't have any children. OK, now I'm not saying any of those things are correct. I'm just telling you, there's a whole lot of discussion around what goes on here. What I do want you to see, though, is what happens. I believe the problem here, though. Ultimately, the problem is, is he comes in and he sees the nakedness of his father, which has to do with his shame being on display. You remember whenever Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing that they realized? We naked. So, oh, we naked. We ain't never realized this. Right. So it has to do with the shame that his that the shame, the openness of sin is now, even though all listen. The flood wiped out all the people that were not on the boat. All those things is showing that the same problem is still down in Noah as well as in his offspring. So thus the, the, the sin nature has continued to move and travel. The Lord had already hinted at that. So we see this still the same problem with sin and shame. I believe if the Bible, if the Lord wanted us to know the exact thing that went on, he would have put it in here. But ultimately, what he is telling us is, is that the shame and the guilt and the movement of sin is still alive and well in man. So then we see the response. Ham's response was to not only look up on it, but did you notice it says he went and he told he told his brothers where outside. Everybody catch that. He told his brothers outside. So when we see that this the, the construction here about telling the brothers outside, we see not only the disgrace, but we also see the dishonor that instead of covering his father's shame, he actually goes and makes it public knowledge, public information, and he is spreading it out. And so when you when you think about the dynamics between a, a father and a son, Later on in another work that Moses is going to God is going to use to write in Exodus when he's writing the Ten Commandments. Does it shock anybody that number five is ahead of number six? Y'all remember that? Anybody got the role? Y'all know the top ten. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder. Right. And I remember when I first read, I thought, you know, what? that's kind of out of order. You know, what do you think? But we see here 
The idea of honor is, is even though we haven't gotten to Exodus yet, the, the idea here is, is already being established. And so thus, ultimately, this challenge, this struggle is going to be moving throughout generations. So when we look at this, we see not only did he see the nakedness, he came into his father's tent un, unaccepted. He comes in, he sees the nakedness, but then he goes out and he publicly tells it outside to his brothers. Now, when he does this, I want you to notice the proper response, the demonstration of what should have happened. Did y'all see it? In the text, it tells us that the other two brothers, it says they took a garment and they laid it on both shoulders and they walked into the tent. They didn't look at daddy. We can't look at all that. They didn't look at daddy and they walked back and they let the garment cover over him. Now, somebody in here should be thinking Genesis chapter three, verse 21. You remember whenever Adam and Eve had their shame, their nakedness revealed, they tried to cover it. But who ultimately had to cover it? The Lord had to cover it. And he did it with animal skins. And so what we see here is we see the idea that 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 the, the, the sin and the shame has to be covered. Now. In our day, can I just make it a little applicable real quick? Y'all looking like make this thing applicable. Oh, it's plenty here. The first thing is that in this life, we have to be very careful because Noah, all the way up to this point, righteous, blameless, walking with God. But here's the deal. Not perfect. There's only been one that's perfect. And I believe God allows us to see this in, the, in light of, in Noah's life for a very important reason that we all have to be careful in here. If you take a note, I want you to jot down 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And this is a passage that I remember regularly because, you know, when you think you're walking with God, you think you're all got it together. You think you got everything rolling and going and everything is moving and shaking. Can I tell you, make sure you remember 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Write it down. Put it on a mirror. Put it in your car. Put it on your lock screen. Whatever you got to do it says is therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall meaning because we all are in the flesh we still have the propensity to sin we have to be careful even while we stand that we don't fall that don't we don't allow certain things to creep in this was just Noah in his house in his own vineyard he had already made it by himself but ultimately it's causing destruction in his life and in his family's life we have to be very careful. It's the first thing I want us to see. Not only do we see this, but we, we see that this is the pattern throughout the Bible. Right. Did, did Abraham ever mess up and fall? And, 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 and fall? Oh, yeah. We're going to get there here in a minute. You're going to see that's going to come a time where Abraham rolls into Egypt and he tells his wife, hey, you make sure you tell him you my sister so they don't kill me. Right. What about. Moses. Moses have any trouble? Yeah, we're going to see. He killed a man. What about David? I know y'all like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they let Bathsheba thing, right? We're going to talk about that here in a minute, too. What, what I want you to hear me say, though, is I believe God allows us to see these real life individuals go through real life struggles, fall for real life temptation and sin to ultimately teach us how to avoid it. We have to be willing to do so. Not only do we see this idea of the fall, but we also have to understand that there is something going on between Ham and Canaan that, that, that they are sharing these things. 
And that, listen, in our culture, there are going to be individuals who want to uh, glorify sin, promote sin. And many times they will do that at the destruction and demise of others. If you're taking notes, somebody got their quiet time in, in uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk this week in chapter two, verse 15 and 16. Somebody was in anybody in Habakkuk this week. Catch what it says in verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors what? Drink. It's quiet. Ooh, it's quiet. Who mix in your venom? Meaning you put that, you just go on, throw a little sun in that. You got that cranberry, you go on, throw a little sun in that right there. Y'all forget I ain't always been saved. I know how this goes. Said, mix in your venom, even to make them what? Drunk. Can I just keep it real here for a minute? There are some beverages that are designed to get you drunk. That's why we have the category of strong drink. Vodka, Hennessy, all that hard stuff that's got the real ornate looking bottles is designed to get you. You hear what I'm telling you? Notice this. So as to look on their, here it comes, nakedness. Verse 16 goes on to say, you will be filled with, say it with me, disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself, no, it says you drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. Above all, keep fervent in your, oh, that's, that's, I got a little hit, I got a little hit, I got a little hit. I'm coming to some encouragement. I know I'm swinging right now, but I'm coming to the encouragement. But we see the disgrace and we see the dishonor and we have to be careful. Now, when we think about this, let me let me encourage you, because I know I've been swinging hard. That what Shem and Japheth, what they do here is a model for us. They don't condone what daddy does. They also don't seek to cleanse what daddy does. And what I find in our culture right now is people think that, oh, if we just love them, love them, love them, will cleanse them. No, it won't. Only the blood of Christ can do that. Love them. We just condone what they do. No, no, we, we don't do that either. So what I believe should happen is that we need to cover what goes on. We don't condone and understand we can't cleanse. But what we can do is we can cover. Let's look at it. First Peter 4, 8. Let's just get that real quick. Just real little encouragement. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because what? Love covers a multitude of sins. They didn't seek to condone daddy. They didn't seek to make excuses for daddy. They loved daddy. They walked in, looked away from the shame, and they just dropped that cloth over and rolled it right over the top of him. And in our culture, we have to understand this. We don't condone what's going on in the world around us, and people hate us for that. They think we don't like them, or they think we are bigoted or homophobic. It's none of that. We can love you and not love what you do. And so as we look at this, we don't condone the things. We also understand we can't cleanse it. Only one individual can do it. And so that's why we continue to try to bring them to him and him to them. So how in the world should we handle it? Well, when we find people that have fallen, they've fallen to sin, they're struggling. The Bible tells us what to do. Y'all ready for it? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. I'm just I got to hit a little application up in here. Because I just get the sense that God going to cause an awakening. Some folks are going to get saved that you never thought they would get be saved. It says this, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, what kind of trespass? Any trespass. Y'all love, y'all ready for that? Any. 
Now catch this. You who are said with me, spiritual. Oh, this is good. Not you who are mad. Not you who are upset. Not you who judgmental, you who are spiritual, a, a spiritual connection with God, a connection with God, walking with him. Notice, is y'all ready for this? What do what? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. This is good. We do it gently. Listen, you can tell somebody they're wrong and you can do it in a way that's really, really ugly. OK, and we are really good at that. At least I am. I can be really straightforward and tell you, you're sinning. You're terrible right now. Go to lifestyle. But the Bible tells us we do it with a spirit of gentleness. That's how we do it. But before we do that, catch y'all ready for this? Each one, what? Looking to yourself. Uh oh. <laughs> so meaning, there's another great statement of Jesus about the eyes, about the speck and the log. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But th this means to have a proper self-assessment first and foremost about your ability to withstand the struggle before you go in trying to get somebody out. Are they going to pull you in with them? Where do I get that from? Each one looking to yourself that you too will not be, say it with me, tempted. Tempted. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, as we look at this, we, we see some very important things. We see this problem that arises in this family. This problem that arises in this great family that God uses, it does not change what the Lord saw in Noah as he walked with God, as he was righteous, as he blameless. But I'm just telling you, we are giving a we have been given a window in Noah's life where he did not follow. And we see the ultimate struggle that's going to come from that. It's getting ready to happen. But I just want you to remember that where there's disgrace, God can bring that covering. God can work and move. In, and I believe that's what he's called us to do. Where there's that where there's dishonor, he can also bring restoration. We must be willing to do it in love. Now, we need to see the family prophecy. We need to see the family prophecy. Now, I'm just going to tell you that these verses I'm getting ready to read have caused a bunch of problems throughout history. All right. I just want you all to know that before I even read it. But I believe today we're going to handle this thing. Verse 24 says this. When Noah awoke. From his wine. That's why I feel like the Lord letting you know this wasn't no accident. Okay. When when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, "Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, and he shall be to his brothers." He also said, "Blessed." Be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Now. In this section right here, this section has given many, many, many issues over the years. And let me just tell you, it's not because there's a problem with the word of God. It's been a problem with how people came, the motives they brought to the word of God. 
If you just take a note, I want y'all to jot down the curse of ham and I want y'all to just type that into any search engine you want to type in, right? And you're going to see all of this information about, oh, this curse is the curse of ham, right? So let's just real quick, let's just pull up real quick the, the, the map, the atlas we pulled up and I want y'all to see the area in green. So what you notice about ham, what, 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 what continent are we talking about right here? Africa. Everybody see that right there? And so whenever you pull it up, what they're going to say is, is, you know, is the curse of ham is the, the, the black people right there in Africa. You know, ham means could mean dark. So so thus right here, the Bible saying that they're going to be servants, they're going to be slaves. And so that's their that's their lot. And there are many people that would use that uh, in slavery times in our nation and, and, and throughout history to say, OK, blacks, you just, you know, Accept your lot. You know, God has done told you this is what you are. This is who you are. All right. And then there's other people that, you know, what I like to call black supremacists. They start pushing back all against that. And you got all this battling going back and forth. But can I tell you all a very simple, casual reading of the text would have fixed all of that. Who got cursed? Canaan. Y'all see that right there? Does it say cursed is ham? No. What does the text say? OK, I just want to make sure y'all seeing the same thing I'm saying. Let's just put that text back up here. Verse 25. Does it say cursed is ham in the text? Verse 25. 925. Do you see curse? Do you see cursed is ham in your text? No. So now as we think about this, as we begin to break this down, what is happening is it's a sad deal that most people look at this and they see it as Noah actually put a curse on Cain. Right. But that's not the construction here. What Noah is doing is, is he is ultimately prophesying. He is laying out what is going to happen as the generations continue to grow and to populate the earth. What is going to happen from that side of Ham's family? This is a very important construction here for us to catch this. He is not saying curse like, boom, I'm making it happen. I'm mad because you came in and saw my neck and it's now going to put that bad juju on you. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is over the movements of the people and over the generations that would move, those who come from the, the, the Canaan side, the Canaanites, are going to make some very important and sad decisions spiritually and morally that is going to move them into a position of servitude. Now, when we think about that, that, that should change the framework of how we see the text, because a lot of people say, yeah, God put it in here right here, right now. He made a slave. He, he got all these rules about people say he knew the human heart was going to have slavery. But all you got to do is get a quick casual reading of Exodus 21, verse 16, to let you know how he feels about it. He says, if anybody kidnaps a man, he found his presence or he sells him. That man should die. Anyways. So as we look at this. Noah is now speaking. Now, the sad thing is, is after all of this time we've been talking about Noah, this is the first time and the only time we're going to hear from Noah. Y'all know that? That's the only recorded him speaking right here. And when we look at this, he's going to share based off of what I believe he sees in the character of Ham and Canaan, what, what he sees in them that's ultimately going to lead to this lifestyle or this decision, the Canaanite people. So when you look at this, don't, don't, don't miss it because people look at this and they say, oh, yeah, oh, the curse of Ham. Well, well just real quick, just so y'all know, the people groups that came from Ham, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, 
I don't know about y'all, but just just reading Bible history, what you know about them is these folks had it going on. They had kingdoms. They had empires. They were they were intelligent. They were they were enslaving people. If we're going to keep it real here. Anybody read Exodus? Yes. The, the Jews have gotten too numerous. We got to get them hard labor. So just understand that, that that he's that there are four sons out of Ham. He's specifically dealing with the youngest one. Now, the youngest one. You should also know that those are the ones whenever you read through Joshua, whenever Israel is starting to take over the land. Let me can I just give you out a few of the names? Hittite, Perizzite, all the motherites. Right. Th those are the ones that have now aligned themselves with all these false gods and doing all this nasty stuff. I'm we're going to read it here in a second. And so ultimately, though, we see this come to be. So let me just give you that real quick. First Kings nine verses 20 through 22. I got the roll. First uh, Kings nine says this. As for all the people who were left of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, all Canaanites, by the way. Who were not of the sons of Israel. So meaning they killed a whole bunch of them as they came through. But the ones who were left catch it now. Y'all ready for this? Their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly. Notice this from them. What happened? Solomon did what? He levied what? Forced labors even to this day. So at the time in which Kings is being pinned, they are now being servants. Those that the, are from the Canaanite side. Now you might want to know, OK, well, what, what else happened? So he goes on to say, but Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel, for they were men of war. His servants, his princes, his captains, his chariot commanders and his horsemen. Right. So we see this taking place. Now, just do me a favor and jot down Leviticus chapter 18, because Leviticus 18, I'm going to read just a little bit. But Leviticus 18 gives you more of a reason why God allowed them to be put in this position. But let me just read it to you. Leviticus 18. Verses uh, one through five say this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of what? Egypt, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of who? Canaan, right? Where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with me. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Now, let me just when y'all read this, get ready to go. Ooh, 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 because what's happening is they have they have all these inappropriate relationships. They uncovering everybody being uncovered. They even uncover with animals, bestiality. All this man land with man, all of this all laid out in. The, and he's telling them, listen, don't you do it. Don't act like them. You saw whenever you were in Egypt, you don't act like that. I'm taking you to a new place. You don't act like that. And so we see here the reason is because they had defiled the land to such a, an extent that the Lord said the land has now pushed them out, spewed them out. And so we see here. The curse, Canaan. Now, I want y'all to just save that thought because I got some good news coming. 
He goes on to say, though, blessed be the Lord of Shem. Everybody see that Shem? Shem means what? Name, right? Now, what's incredible here is Shem, this, this is not the firstborn. But if you notice, every time we read, when they start talking about Noah's kids, Shem comes first. His name is first. This is the lineage we know where Abraham is going to be coming from. The Hebrews are going to be coming from. Ultimately, the line that Jesus is going to come from. And so when we look at this, it's a very clear here that blessed be the Lord of Shem, meaning that this is the godly line in which God is going to use to fulfill the promise that he gave in Genesis 3.15. So when you look at Shem, don't mean that they were perfect, don't mean that they didn't act the fool, because trust me, they got plenty of that going on. But what it means is that God has decided that that is going to be the line that the Messiah is going to come through. Now, when we look at Shem and we look at what's going to happen here, that the descendants are going to come through that line. We're going to see from Abraham all the way to Jesus. Now, this is incredible because God wants to use that particular line to be a witness and a light to the Japheth line as well as to the Ham line. And I'm going to prove it to you here in just a minute. But if you're taking those, jot down Isaiah 42, verse 6 through 8. Let's look at it real quick. Isaiah 42, verse 6 says this. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a notice this a covenant to the people as a light to the to the what nations to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Here we go. I am the Lord. That is my name. Say what, what, what do he say? I am the Lord. That is my name. Meaning the Shem line is carrying the name, the name Yahweh. That is the name that they carry. Notice this. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And so what happens is, is God takes from that line of Shem. He's going to call out Abraham. We're going to get there. I promise y'all. He's going to call him out of a very idolatrous place. He's going to meet with him there. He's going to continue Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're going to settle out. Joseph going to get down into Egypt. He's going to continue to carry that name all the way up. He's going to let him know, who should I say sent me? I am who I am sent me. He's going to keep carrying the name. So ultimately in, in Shem, the true knowledge of God will be housed. And this is good news because he's going to keep Ham around Shem. But also, did you see what it said about Japheth? He says, may God enlarge Japheth. That's the verse 27. And let him dwell in the set with me tents of Shem. Everybody catch that? Meaning there's going to be a connection, a relationship between these two entities, these two Jew and Gentile, to be able to orient them so that, that, that way they'll be able to come to know the true and living God. Now, we got to make some decisions here. Because I don't know about you, but man, I'm just looking at that. I'm like, man, poor Cain, y'all just cursed my guy like that. No, you woke up after being drunk and you just, you your, your grandson, you just did him like that. And all the generations to, to come. Anybody got a problem with that? Anybody feel like, man, that ain't really, that ain't really good. Anybody? Nobody? Y'all must have read the whole book. Y'all know. Okay. Can I just tell y'all how God shows out? Y'all ready for this? If y'all will give me a chance, can I preach real quick here? I'm going to give you some famous Canaanites. Y'all ready for this? The first one, let's start with the latest. Can I start with the sisters in here? Famous Canaanite, Rahab. Anybody know Rahab? What y'all know about Rahab? 
Prostitute, right? Jericho on the wall, making big dollars, right? Yeah. Did you know that Rahab is David's great-grandmama? David, like the David that beat up Goliath, that's David's, that's their great-grandma. So when you look at this, I just want y'all to catch something here for a minute. So at some point for David to be able to have a, a great-grandmama that is a Canaanite, what had to happen? Somewhere in, in there, somebody had to get together, right? Somebody from Shem had to get with somebody from Ham. Everybody see that, what I'm telling you right now? That, that's a famous sister. Can I give you a famous brother? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. Brother Caleb, y'all know Brother Caleb in the Old Testament, rolling with Moses. Y'all remember Brother Caleb? Y'all want me to tell you how Brother Caleb got in this thing? Well, let me tell you. You know Judah, Judah and Tamar. We're going to get there at some point and everybody's going to go, ugh, they was acting like that. Yeah, they was acting like that. But ultimately, Tamar is a Canaanite. So Judah, Judah is, is a Shemite. Gets with a Canaanite, which happens to be from Ham. And through that line, we get Caleb. Caleb that's busting heads, Caleb. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Incredible story about how God brings that together. Can I give y'all another one? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. Y'all ready for this? Y'all remember David was messing around and he wasn't out to battle and he was supposed to be out to battle and he was up on the rooftop and he saw this woman taking a bath down there. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? And most of y'all think he saw her taking a bath. That's because her name is Bathsheba, but that ain't it. That's not the reason. Bathsheba means daughter of Sheba. Okay, and when you look up Sheba, what you're going to understand is when we get to the table of nations that Sheba is from the ham side as Sheba is from the ham side. So what that means, y'all ready for this now? So that means that David got with Bathsheba, who was a Hamite, and they had Solomon. Incredible. How many of y'all knew that all in the day? You know, now when you read the genealogy, do y'all know ultimately who going to come out of all of these relationships? We call him Jesus. We have been here worshiping. I already been singing to him. God can work this thing out. I'm not finished yet, though. When you read in Genesis, I'm not going to we're not going to turn there. But in Genesis chapter 41, verse 45, what you're going to find out is, is that Joseph, who was on the Shem side. You remember he was Jacob's baby boy, his favorite one. Y'all remember that? He gave him a coat of many colors. Adidas jacket was looking good and his brothers couldn't stand it. And so you remember what they did? They sold him into slavery. The Ishmaelites, that should be ringing a bell, Ishmaelites, they took him to where? Egypt. Potiphar bought him. Everybody remember this? P.W. Potter's wife lied on him. He was looking good, loved the Lord. She lied on him. And ultimately, though, he becomes the second in command in Egypt. When that happens, do you know that he gets a wife? And when you read Genesis 41, 45, what you're going to come to find out is that his wife is an Egyptian. This is crazy. We got Joseph, who is from which line? Shem, being married to an Egyptian, what line is that? Ham, uh-oh, any problems there? But can I say my favorite one, my, the, I believe the best for last. Y'all ready for this? So when you think about God's working in salvation history and putting people together, I want y'all to hear from uh, Brother Moses. Everybody remember Brother Moses? Now, if you're not careful, you'll run right past this in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers 12 verses 1 through 4. Y'all ready for this? Because the reason why I feel like I need to go ahead and hit this real quick in here is because I just feel like in the days in which we live, you got some folks that say, you know what? Now, I'm going to use this term. I think we shouldn't use it. But, you know, the races shouldn't be together. You know, they should not be in a marrying. They shouldn't be together. Now, let me tell you, somebody in your same shade, you want to be with them. You think they look good, male and female. Go and do what you do. OK, they love the Lord. It is what it is. 
But over history, though, people have made a big deal out of people coming from different cultures and backgrounds marrying each other. And all I'm saying is, is have you not ever read the Bible? You ain't never seen you, you. Because let me just tell you, it's happening all over the place. And what, if we're not careful, I, I have heard folks say, I'm going to use the terminology in our day. You know what? White people shouldn't be married to black people. And then there are white people that say, yes, yes, yes. And then there are also black people that say, yes, yes, black power. We don't, we don't need to be intermingling with the white devil. We don't need to do all of that. That is foolishness. Let me go and give you all this up. I told you, equal opportunity offender. Then Miriam and Aaron. So just so y'all know, that's, Mo, that's Moses' brother and sister. Spoke against who? Moses. Why did they speak against him? Because of the what? Cushite woman. Now, I don't know. If, do do y'all remember what I already what we already saw? What what line is Cush? Ham. Ten six. Ten six. His Ham Cush. Number one. Cush, the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a what? Cushite woman. Can I ask y'all a quick question? Who had Moses married? A Cushite woman. What line is that? Ham's line. You mean to tell me that's already in the Bible? Is that in your Bible? Is that in y'all Bible? Listen, you should pick up an old school Bible. As dusty and as old as you want it, it's going to be right in there. Now, let's just keep on rolling, because I love this. <laughs> they got mad because they married a Cushite woman. Verse, verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? I love this right here. And the Lord what? Heard it. Don't think you can go get away with talking crazy. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. All I'm going to tell you is that's probably not good. That's all I'm going to tell you. You know, I, I, just every time I read it, all I want to say is, ooh, that's, that's just what goes through my mind. OK. So the three of them, they came out. Now, let me just I'm going to fast forward because the Lord is going to ream them out about Talking crazy about Moses, but we need to just go to verse 9 and 10. Let's just look at it real quick. So the what? Anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, who? Miriam was what? Leprous as what? White as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Now, let me just tell you, the Lord did not appreciate Miriam and Aaron's decision to talk about Moses, to question him, to question the connection, the relationship. So what I'm saying here is that if anybody coming out telling you that God is against particular people getting together because they come from different cultural backgrounds and it's not based off of whether or not they worship the one true God, that is a lie and is not found in here. In here has told us, in here has shown us very clearly his perspective. It's always been in here. It's this we're talking thousands of years, but we have allowed the world out there to divide us in here where we ain't willing to stand on this to trust this. Now, I'm just telling you, I've given you these are just there are many, many, many. many, We could be here for five hours talking about all the different connections that they are all throughout scripture. And what I want you to hear is that God did this by design, working through these individuals. And even in the midst of of Canaan's fall, even in the midst of his mess and sin, God did not leave him out of his plan and his equation for salvation. 
We got them right in Jesus' lineage, right in Jesus, his genealogy, all of them right in there. Rahab, Ruth, to Bathsheba, to all these individuals. So not one time, once that the world can't tell us nothing that the word of God has not already said. It's in here, plain and clear. Now, I got to finish up. Because when you look at this, Japheth said he's going to be enlarged. And obviously, you see he had the largest territory. But I want you to know from a New Testament perspective, what's incredible here. Just do me a favor and just jot this down. We don't have the time. I can't get to you. But I want you to jot down Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 10. Because in chapter 8, let me just tell y'all, this is good stuff right here. Y'all going to be introduced to a man that is an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian eunuch. And you know what happens? He hears the gospel. And you know what? He believes right there in the Bible. I can't tell you. For some reason, there's just foolishness going around there. The Bible ain't for black people. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? From the Old to the New Testament. We see God not only saving, but using. Get your little Jeremiah and see how the Ethiopians show out in that particular book. Get your little Acts and see how in the church at Antioch, one of the three leaders was a brother from North Africa. What are we talking about? We have ripped up our history and thought it's, it's back in Africa. We have not understood that God is our history. He has jotted down, put it here, right here, and we ultimately find it in him. I don't know if y'all with me. But I'm just telling you, it's right here. You're going to see in chapter eight, Ethiopian is saved. Incredible. When you get to chapter nine, you know what you're going to see? A Jewish brother gets saved. His name is uh, in that particular time. He was Saul. Couldn't stand Jesus. And the Lord knocked that man off his high horse, blinded him and said, you finna serve me. And you know what he did? He served him. That's exactly what he did. And what's incredible to me is the same thing that the Ethiopian who was from the line of Ham needed was the same thing that the Jewish man who was in the line of Shem needed. They needed the same thing. They needed Jesus. And here's the good news. He can handle them both up. We're going to get there. I told you three chapters, right? Eight, nine. Did I tell you ten? I, I, I forgot about ten. I can't forget about ten. Because you know what happens in chapter ten? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You're going to be introduced to this man named Cornelius. You know what Cornelius is? He is a Gentile. He is from the Roman cohort. You, you, you notice whenever that, that, that map was up, that, that map, that red went over to that boot. You see that boot over there? It was red, okay? It was red, orange, whatever color you want. So that means that he comes from the Japheth side of things, from the Japheth line. And can I tell you what happens whenever Cornelius hears the gospel? You know what happens? He is saved. And the same message saved the brother from Ham, saved the brother from Shem, and the brother from Japheth, because that is what Jesus does. He is the king of kings and lord of lords of every people, every nation, every tribe, every place, and will always be that way. So as we look to this, let me just go and close up because I don't think y'all believe me just yet. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Because I just need to let y'all know what's coming. There are a lot of people that want to argue with me about Jesus being God and divine because he used son of man and all of such. He sure did use son of man. You know why? Because he was a human being. He came through the line of Shem. We already have seen his lineage and we needed him to because he can identify with us as savior. We need him to be God and man to be able to connect the two together. And this is what it says. I kept looking in a night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a what? Son of man. What you know about that S and that M It's capitalized. We ain't talking about just anybody. It, he was coming. Notice this. And and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given. Y'all help me out. Dominion, 
glory and a kingdom that what all the peoples, nations and men of every language, what's going to happen, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will what not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be said with me. Destroyed. So when we look at this, can I just tell you the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. Period. The end. Now, as we look at this, we understand we see this. We see the, the, the struggle and we see the strain. I'm just committed and I can see where God can take some messed up mess in the Canaanites and he can bring about change and transformation. I don't know. If we got any Canaanites up in here. But can I tell you the God of the Bible, he will save you. He will change you. He will transform your life forever. No matter where you come from, no matter your background, it's always been here. But are we willing to believe and to trust it? And as we close up, as I finish this time up, I just want you to see it. That listen, there are problems in families. Can I tell you the heart of man is moving towards sin, but there's one who can change it. He can change you. He can change your family. He can change your situation if you be willing to surrender to him. You see, we, we can't just be wrapped up in our identities because can I tell you the only true identity that's going to remain is the one that's in Christ. Because it says that in heaven. Every tribe, nation, tongue, people going to be there. And the reason why they're there is because of Jesus. How about you? Will you be there? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. And God, I just I thank you for your word because. Is true. You tell us the truth about us. And you tell us the truth about you. And so, Lord, all these years, your word has has been set for us. But, Lord, we have not always turned to you. We have not always turned to your word. And I'm praying that today that will that would be different in all of our lives. That Lord, we would see. That from the very beginning. You had a plan to bring about salvation and transformation. And Lord, that when we get to heaven, there's going there's not going to be anybody left out. There's going to be no no culture, no language that's going to be left out. The only individuals that be left out will be those that have not surrendered their life to you, that have not have not given their allegiance to you. Those who have not followed you, those who have not been willing to submit and surrender to you. And so Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here today, they've never surrendered their life to you. Lord, I pray that today will be the day. That they would call out and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. That they will ask you, Lord, to be their identity, to be their Lord and their Savior. Change and transform them. Lord, you can do it no matter what's happened in their life. Lord, I look at I look at your genealogy and I look at Rahab. And I, and I look at how she had a prostitution background, lifestyle. It, but Lord, her life was changed forever by the one true living God. I look at David. Murderer because he put Bathsheba's husband on the front lines to be killed after he had already stepped out and had an adulterous relationship with her, Lord. But you changed and you transformed him. And the word says that he is a man after your own heart. Lord, I believe you still change people to this day. No matter where they come from. No matter what they've done. 
So Lord, I'm just praying if there's anybody here that Lord, they would surrender their life to you, they'd be saved, they'd be changed and transformed. Lord, can I just, uh, can't just, I can't thank you enough for your love for us. That Lord, you see our lives, you know what's going on. You know what happens in our tents. You know what happens in our minds. But yet, Lord, you're willing to cover that up. You're willing to cover it up. Because of your shared blood, your work, you'll cover it. Lord, I pray that we would not take that lightly. And that, Lord, we would live for you. Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and response, pray you have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me? I hope that God spoke to you through his word during this message, and we would love to talk to you about it. You can connect with us through email, a phone call, or a connection card. You can find the connection card on our website at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We would love to help you work through uh, any spiritual questions that you have as you're on this journey. You see, we recognize that uh, the greatest need in everyone's life is to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, the Bible is very clear that uh, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the reality is in Christ, we don't have to stay that way because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And the Bible is very clear that if we will agree with God, that we need him, that we are sinners, and that if we agree with God and believe that Jesus Christ is the answer the payment for our sins, that he died and that he rose and that uh, he will change and transform our lives. We will believe that God will save us. And it says in Romans that we will not be disappointed if we will believe in him. And so the first step is for you to give your life to Christ, to call on him to be your Lord and Savior, uh, to come in and transform your life and to use you for his glory. If you listen to this sermon, and you don't have a church home, we would love for you to be our guest here at Word Baptist. We have multiple services and would love to meet you and have you here with us together in worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you missed any sermons, they are all archived on our website and you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media and you can find us at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and support the spreading of the gospel, you can go online to wordbaptist.com slash give. We're glad that you have joined us and we hope that you've learned something that you can apply to your life and that we look forward to having you again right here at Word Baptist.